Welcome to Chapel of the Lake in Lake St. Louis, Missouri. The Chapel family is a multi-generational community of believers who gather weekly to worship and explore God's Word as we grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Join us now as Pastor Keith Spa opens the Scriptures. Well, good morning, Chapel family. What a good thing to be in the Lord's house today. What a wonderful time of worship it has already been. I encourage you to take your Bibles and open to James chapter 4, the book of James chapter 4. Last week, we paused our study here in the book of James to focus on missions and what a wonderful weekend it was and that Bruce McAtee, our missionary to Greece, brought our message last week and challenged us with a question from John chapter 21 where Jesus asked Peter, Peter, do you love me? And really, that is another way of asking a question which really, I suppose, comes up in this message today. As we come here to verse 4 of chapter 4, James is continuing a thought that he began in the first three verses of this, of this chapter which is where we were a couple of weeks ago. There James was addressing the problems that, that result, the problems that come about from living life according to the earthly wisdom, the wisdom of this world, rather than living from, according to the wisdom from above, the heavenly wisdom. And we saw there in those first three verses here of this chapter that this earthly wisdom is all about ourselves. It's all about me. It's all about my wants, my desires. And the consequence of living according to that wisdom is, the, is relationships in turmoil. There are conflicts and quarrels and frustrations because we lust and desire, he says, we crave and we do not have and we pursue these desires through wrong ways and wrong motives. It says we do not have because, in verse 2, it says we do not have because we do not ask God. We don't ask God and trust him to provide what we need and so we've got everything all backwards because He says, even when we do ask, we ask with wrong motives. And the wrong motive, he makes it clear, is it's focused on me. Our own priorities, our own desires, our own pleasures. And just to be clear, God is not against our pleasures. He's not against us enjoying life and enjoying good things. Matter of fact, Paul writes to young Timothy And he says that God has richly provided for us all good things for our enjoyment. God is not against us enjoying good things. Matter of fact, he's all about that. We should enjoy good things to the honor and to the glory of God. What God is against is pleasures that are wrong, pleasures that are contrary to God's word, that are destructive, as well as even good pleasures and good desires that are sought and and pursued in the wrong manner and things that get in the way of things that are greater, things that are of higher value, so often we settle for lesser things. 
Well, as we come here to, cha- to verse 4 of chapter 4, James is addressing people who are living according to the wisdom of this world, which was at the end of chapter 3. They're living according to the, the wisdom of this world, and he addresses them in some very strong terms. Look at verse 4. He says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. James says, If you, as a believer in Jesus Christ, if you, as someone who names the name of Jesus, you you call yourself a Christian, and you are living according to the wisdom of this world, he says you've made a, a bad choice of friends. He says you are committing spiritual adultery If we claim to be Christians, but we buy into this world's wisdom, we live according to that. Rather than living according to God's heavenly wisdom, we are living, he says, like an unfaithful, disloyal spouse. And he calls such people adulteresses, adulterous people. That's pretty strong terminology. I don't think I've ever stood up in front of you and said, You adulterers! Repent, every one of you. (laughs) But that's kind of the tone here that James has. You adulterous people. That's a very bold and maybe we say might say brutal charge. Romans chapter 12 verse 2 says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your minds. He says, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you and I are not to be conformed to the pattern, to the typical ways of this world. We are to be different. We are to have our minds renewed. And the implication there is our minds renewed through the Word of God. And so James is in agreement there with Romans chapter 12 that we should not be like the world. But he says as followers of Jesus, as those who name the name, we are to be different. And if we listen to the world's wisdom and we live like it lives and think like it thinks, if we love what the world loves if we laugh at what the world laughs at, if we embrace the same values of the world, if we embrace the same lifestyle of the world around us, James says, we have crawled in bed with the world. Friendship with the world, he says, is committing spiritual adultery. Again, harsh terms. But James goes on and he says, do you not know this? It's a rhetorical question. The assumed answer is, yeah, we know that. We know it, but we don't like it. And so we ignore it. We want to put softer words on it. We want to call it something different. 
I'm a believer in Jesus, and sure, I, I want to follow Jesus. But there is this one little thing over here that I... <laughs> there are these different priorities that I... There are these things that Jesus asked that are just kind of hard, and I don't want to do that. There are things... And so we want to argue, and we want to say, yeah, I want to follow Jesus, and I, I am following Jesus, except for this, 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 this. And James says, No. We want to soften the terms, but James doesn't. And matter of fact, he even goes a little stronger. Continue in verse 4. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Says... If we choose friendship with the world, we've made a bad choice of friends because we are committing spiritual adultery and we have positioned ourselves as enemies of God. Earlier in this book, back in chapter 1 in verse 27, James said that religion, the living as a Christian that is pure is this, to keep oneself unstained from the world. Sadly, I I have an eating disorder. Not ones you might think of. It's just I have a tendency of spilling food on myself. I need, when I eat, I need a lot of napkins. Okay, my wife can eat, she can eat so cleanly, she never even needs a napkin. I need the stack. We go to foreign countries like the Philippines and Japan. You go to a restaurant and they hand you a little square of a real little thin little piece of paper that's supposed to be your napkin. And I'm like, really? I don't care what it is. I, I struggled with communion, not, not making a mess. Even while we ate, I dropped a crumb on myself. And I was like, thank you, Lord, that wasn't the grape juice. But it's especially bad when I'm in the car. You know, I just I get out of the car to go into a meet with somebody and I go, oh my, I did it again. You know, constantly having to, when you wash stuff, you gotta spray the stuff and scrub it, and that's me. Well, an eating disorder because I put stains on my clothes. See, James, when he says we are that as followers of Jesus Christ, we are to keep ourselves unstained from the world. He's not talking about those accidental little minor things that happen. He's talking about what's being described here in chapter 4 in verse 4 when he says friendship with the world. The stain he's talking about isn't just this little once in a while incidental thing that happens because we are sinners And we fail. He's talking about the one who makes a friend of the world. This word friendship, in the Greek, it's philia. You might recognize it because it sounds like some of you know the word phileo, one of the words for love, from which we get the name Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. 
This word friendship is not just a, a casual acquaintance where, you know, you go into Starbucks and you, there's somebody at the counter and you talk to them and, and you talk a little about, bit about the Cardinals and about some sports thing and about the weather and a couple of nice things and you, you say, man, have a good day. You have a nice day too. Bye. That's not friendship with the world. Friendship here is, is implying there is an affection for someone, a caring about someone, and even a devotion to them. You know, when wars begin, usually there are people who are put in the position of having to choose sides. We actually see that playing out in the news every single day. Right now, with the war going on between Israel and Hamas and Hezbollah, every day there are nations and political leaders and even individuals, maybe you at work, who are put in the hot seat, put on the spot, when people are pressing you to pick a side. Are you on the side of Israel or Hamas? Or whatever the war is. And sometimes those choices are very difficult to make, and sometimes they are quite costly. It very often happens in war. It happened all too frequently during the American Civil War. There's a story that was said to happen in in the Battle of Shiloh. During the hottest point of the battle, Two Kentucky regiments, one north and one south, met on the battlefield and they fought with fury. One of the Union soldiers happened to wound and and take captive a Confederate soldier whom happened to be his brother. He moved him to the rear as those who were taken captive and as his brother was going back, He began to resume the fighting, shooting at a Confederate soldier behind a tree, and the brother screamed out, Bill, stop shooting! Stop shooting! The man behind that tree is our father. See, in a battle, there is very often not a place for neutral ground. Choices have to be made. And James is reminding us that spiritually, in this world, we are living in a war zone. Book of Ephesians chapter 6 reminds us that we have an adversary. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is not the people around us. It's not our neighbors. It's not even people in Afghanistan or Iran or Iraq or whatever country you might be afraid of today, those are not the enemy. The enemy, the Bible says, we war against principalities, against the powers, against the spiritual forces of wickedness which are at work in this world, working through the world's systems. There is a spiritual battle. And the spiritual battle lines are drawn. And there is no spiritual Switzerland. (laughs) No neutral place where we can run and just say, you know, I'm just going to chill out here and just hang out till Jesus comes. There's no neutral turf to hang in. 
Jesus himself said this, Matthew chapter 12, verse 30, He who is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. You see, what Jesus is saying is if we are not actively living for him, then we end up working against him. We are hindering him. If we are not gathering with him, if we are not engaged in the mission which he has left us to do, which is to make disciples of Jesus Christ, to spread the good news of the gospel, point people to Jesus, encourage people in growing in Jesus. If we're not active in the mission, Jesus says, you're scattering. You're being counterproductive. You're working for the other side. And so when we are devoted to the same things as the world system, when we are living the same way as those in the world system, when we embrace the same things and justify the same things as the world system, James says we are living as enemies of God and we are fighting against him rather than fighting for him. Verse 5. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the Spirit that he has made to dwell in us? As I study, I realize that the translators have a very difficult time with this verse. Because when you go through the identity of the Spirit here is not clear. And James is not directly quoting a Bible passage that we can go to for clarity because what he's actually doing is giving a general teaching of the Scripture. He's referring to some general teaching. And so depending on what translation of the Bible you pick up, you may find that this verse reads very differently in one translation from another. For example, many of you I know have the NIV. We had that for many years here in our pews, and many of you are studying the NIV, and it reads this way. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that the Spirit He caused to live in us envies intently? In other words, what, that, what it's saying in, the, in that translation is that do you think the Scripture says without reason that the spirit, that is the human spirit that God put into us when he created us, that that human spirit that we have envies intently because of sin. Because sin came into the human race through Adam and has been passed down to all men. And consequently, the scripture says, all of us are corrupted to our core. This is biblical teaching. Therefore, as James has said here in the first three verses, that our human spirit has desires and we are corrupted by our desires and we pursue these desires in sinful ways. So we envy, we desire intently. That is a perfectly biblical fine reading of that text. It fits in with all the rest of scriptures and in with the context here. 
And then along comes the ESV, which is in our pews now, and many of you used to study. And it says, as I read a moment ago, Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says, He yearns jealously over the Spirit that He has made to dwell in us? Here it is God who is jealously yearning over our spirit. Saying that God passionately, jealously desires for you and for your affection. And again, this is certainly biblical truth. Back in Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 5, God says, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all your might. God commands us, he calls for us to love him with all that we are. God desires our affection, our love. And he says in Exodus 20 where he gives the Ten Commandments, verse 5, he says, you shall not bow down to them, to other idols, to other gods, or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, here it is, am a jealous God. God jealously desires our love and our affection and our worship. So both of these readings are biblical. Both of them fit the context of this passage. So which one's right? Well, I can't say. But I'm going to choose to focus on this second one this morning, this one that's in the ESV is of the two, the one I favor, I could be wrong. But I want to focus on that this morning for a few moments. What it's saying, again, is that God desires our faithful loyalty. He desires our love. Again, going back to the question that Brother Bruce asked us last week as he Asked the question that Jesus asked of Peter in John 21. Do you love me? Do you love me? God jealously desires the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. He desires our heart, our soul to love him. Some people have had a problem with the concept that God is jealous among them were the Oprah, Oprah Winfrey, a number of years ago. On one of her shows, she said, I was raised a Baptist, and we were too hung up on traditional ways. I was sitting in church, and I heard that God is a jealous God, and I asked, why? Come on, let's get over it. She equated a jealous God with an insecure God, and a lot of folks like her, have failed to understand, no, God is not insecure at all. And there is a difference between a bad jealousy and there is a good jealousy, a right jealousy, a righteous jealousy. Certainly much of jealousy is wrong. For example, a person who envies or who despises or who belittles someone because they're jealous of their looks or they're jealous because of their possessions or they're jealous because of their achievements or because of whatever, you know, the number of likes and the number of friends they have on social media, that's wrong. Or they're an insecure or selfish 
paranoid type of jealousy that constantly tries to monitor someone, that tries to manipulate them, tries to control them. And they call it love, but it's not love. It is a paranoid jealousy, a very selfish thing. But there is a proper and a good, a right, a righteous jealousy. It is perhaps best illustrated in marriage. Marriage is a holy contract, a holy covenant between a man and a woman. And we make a promise in marriage vows to keep ourselves only to you as long as we both shall live. And because of that commitment, because of that promise, because of that contract, a husband and wife have a right to assume that there will be a loyalty, a fidelity to one another. And so if a husband comes in one evening and says to his wife, Hi dear, I really love you. But tonight I'm going to take my old girlfriend, Betty Sue, out on a date because I like her too. (laughs) I expect that most people, even people on Reddit, would agree with us that this wife has a right to be upset and to be jealous of her husband's affection and attention. Similarly, if a husband and wife are over at the Sonic sitting there in the little you know, pull-in, drive-in thing there, sitting there drinking their milkshakes, and while they're there, uh, a guy pulls up, a really slick-looking dude in a Corvette, and he pulls up in the stall next to theirs, looks over at the wife, gives her a wink, And she opens the door, goes over, gets in this stranger's car, and they drive off together. We would all say there is something severely wrong if that husband is not jealous and upset. Right? There's something wrong. It's in the same way God is rightly and righteously jealous for the affection of his people. It breaks his heart when those who say they love him, those who name his name, go out and follow the wisdom of the world and chase other gods. Listen to what God said through the prophet Jeremiah to his people Israel. Return, faithless people, declares the Lord, for I am your husband. What can a husband expect from his wife? Fidelity, loyalty, faithfulness. A little later in that same chapter, but like a woman unfaithful to her husband, so you have been unfaithful to me, O house of Israel, declares the Lord. You see, it was true for the people of Israel when they chased other gods when they put other things ahead of God, above God, when they chased their own desires, their own ways, when they followed the wisdom of the world rather than God's word, God said they committed spiritual adultery. So James didn't just invent this concept. It's throughout the Old Testament. We come to the New Testament and we discover that it calls us, believers in Jesus, the church, 
He calls us the bride of Christ. And Jesus passionately loves his church. We saw that pictured very graphically in this morning as we took communion. The elements which picture the very body and blood of Jesus Christ sacrificed for us through his death on the cross to purchase us from sin and death and free us. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20 says, you, those of us who name Jesus, those of us who are trusting in him, we are not your, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Jesus has a right to expect a faithful and loving bride. And James writes this passage, this whole letter is written to believers. It's written to believers like us just almost 2,000 years ago, but who would be sitting in church one Sunday and reading this, and we come across James saying, You adulterers and adulteresses! Friendship with the world is enmity with God. We try to say, he surely didn't mean to say that. And he's surely not talking about me. Or is he? Some of us may be here this morning and we've been running from God. We've been living like an unbeliever. We've been best buddies with the world. He's talking to them. Others of us may be here not deliberately snuggling up with the world, but also not intentionally, not faithfully living for Jesus. James is writing to us. Some of us try to live for Jesus and we fail. James is writing to us. He's given a stern rebuke here and a bold call to any and all of us who name the name of Jesus, and he says, be done with it. Be done with following the ways of the world. Be done with going along their way. And let's be busy instead about being faithful to the love of Jesus. How do we love Jesus? How do we show our love for him? Do you remember back in the, in the upper room that night before Jesus was crucified? We studied that earlier this year. Jesus said, the one who does what I command loves me. And he says it the other way as well. The one who loves me does what I say. We listen to what Jesus says and we put it into practice. That's how we show love for Jesus. But some of us may wonder, yeah, pastor, that's good. The reality is I know that James is writing about me. He's right to call me a spiritual adulterer because I have run so far from God and I've done so much stuff. Other people here may not know it. But I've done so much bad stuff. I'm sure I've hurt and offended him so badly. There is no way back. There's no way to come back and to be in a love relationship with Jesus. Is there? Others of us may be here this morning saying, you know, Pastor, again, I, I've, I want to follow Jesus, and I try, but so often I just fall again and again and again. 
I start thinking like the world thinks and doing some of the stuff it does. I do it again and again. I mean, really, is there any hope to change? Good news. There's verse 6. We better read it. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Good news, folks. God gives grace. Notice it says, he not only gives grace, it says he gives, there's a little word there before grace. What is it? He gives, what's the word there? More. More grace. More than what? More than whatever's needed. More grace than our sin. No matter how much you've done, he has more grace. What does he say? He opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. When we we come back humbly and say, God, here I am. I blew it again. You know it. It doesn't say that there's anything too big that his grace isn't bigger. He welcomes us back with open arms. Is that good news for folks who blow it? Because I assume there's more than one of us here. Not only grace to forgive us, but he says more grace. And that means grace to empower us. Grace to help us. Another thing that Paul wrote, he said, He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. We come to Jesus and we say, I want to follow you. I want to love you, but you know how weak I am and I keep falling. Help me. You know what he'll do? He'll help us. And little by little, he'll finish the work he started in us. He'll change us bit by bit, piece by piece from the inside out. How desperately we need that. Father, this has been a hard thing to preach. These are hard words, strong words. And the reality is, though, this is, we all struggle with this. There may be somebody here today who's never put their faith in Jesus. They're not even a, a Christian yet. I pray what they hear is there is a God who loves them, who loves them so much, he sent his one and only son to pay for their sin to give them new life now and eternal life forever. Forgiveness of sin. Father, there's a lot of us here who name the name of Jesus. Some have been living in rebellion for a long time. They need to come face to face with the fact that it's not some minor thing. It's spiritual adultery. It's enmity with you. May they come humbly before you and find grace. Father, others of us here, we haven't been trying to run from you, but we fall again and again. May we recognize it's not minor stuff. It's spiritual adultery. It is enmity with you. May we come humbly before you this morning and find grace. Lord, may you change us, make us more like Jesus. 
so much like him, it shows in the way that we live. It shows in the way that we talk. It shows in the things that we love. It shows in the things that we value. It shows in the things that we do. So much so that when people look at us, they get a glimpse of Jesus. Change us like that. For our good and for your glory, we ask it. In Jesus' name, amen. May God bless you as you grow in your walk with him this week.